Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for the prayer, Brother Gavin. I really appreciate that. Um, I open as a scripture and an extract from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. You don't have to turn there with me just yet. It says, The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. I'll just repeat that. Ecclesiastes 9 and 11, part of 11. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. When a race takes place, the object of the racer is to keep moving forward, and the purpose of the race is to finish it, or to run the race that is set before them. That's in Hebrews 12 and 11. The course of the race is already set before anyone even begins to take part. The track is laid out. The length of the track is determined. There is a starting point and a finishing point for every racer without exception. Any obstacles put into the track are there for the purpose to negotiate and not to bypass. The purpose of these objects or difficult passages are not there to cause defeat, but are there for the racer to overcome, to employ discretion and to negotiate. It is easy to become complacent when everything is just normal and plain sailing without any obstacles. But obstacles, obstacles give the racer an opportunity to think, to act, to plan, and to achieve. What great joy results when success and victory is achieved. The racer can look back and see how the obstacle was overcome and then be strengthened and encouraged in their desire to continue. The racer learns some things about themselves, such as recognition of ability, planning strategy, commitment, determination, and the desire to overcome, to face the obstacles, obstacles and tackle to win and not to lose. I don't believe anyone enters a race, has intentions to give up during the race or to stop somewhere along the way and not finish but must come to the end of the race. For us who are running the race of salvation, as I put it, the scripture mentioned in opening says, the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong. This is very encouraging because we are not all swift and we are not all strong in our own strength. But we do not run this race without Jesus being with us and helping us to overcome any obstacles which may be in front of us. I know this is a fact before the scripture that follows says, can you turn to Hebrews 12 verses 1, 2, and 3 with me, please? Wherefore, Seeing we are also encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which, do, which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. <clears throat> the New International Version makes it a little more plain. It says, Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the New Living Translation says, 
Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Amen. That's so very true when we think of what Jesus put up with. For us, we shouldn't become weary and give up. All these scriptures are well and good, but even so, we still have the struggle, but we still have the commitment and the desire to continue. Anytime we feel that we are struggling and all alone, to help us with encouragement and examples, we can look into the Word of God to the cloud of witnesses that compass us around. One of our young preachers recently spoke in great depth of the commitment of unstoppable Apostle Paul and all the difficulties and sufferings he experienced as he served the Lord. And this above scripture reaffirms to us that we will experience hardships and difficulties as we bear witness of Jesus Christ in this world. Sister Bellette recently stated that living for God is not simple and easy, but that we need to be tough and strong as we live for him and to serve him. At the outset, when we begin to serve God, We have so much love for him that we dedicate ourselves to him and we make promises that we will go where he sends us and will do as he wishes. And this is all good. And our love is enough for us to make these commitments and commence the journey. And as we journey along with the Lord Jesus Christ and continue in this journey, our love for him just grows and grows and grows and grows. There's an old song that says, Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. We love him more and more and more as we continue with him. But there are areas in our lives, all of our lives, that need to be strengthened and changed. And there are some ways in us that need to go. We all have our own will, and sometimes we like what we shouldn't like, and we hold on to some things that we should not hold on to, which we may find difficult to let go. To this end, God will help us to change Because he knows best, and he knows what changes we will need. It is no good trying to run this race in our own will and in our own strength and knowledge. We need to depend on God and allow him to change us. We need to allow him to change us. God is willing to change us all the time. But if we don't yield to him, there's no change going to take place. We need to allow God to change us. Amen. One of the most beloved examples in the cloud of witness is David, from whose life we can learn endless lessons. Consider when he was called of God, a young shepherd boy, not a soldier, not a king, not a pacifier of an angry king, but he was a shepherd and was able to write poetry and play music. He employed his time very wisely out in the hills and the mountains where he tended these sheep, which were not his own. They were his fathers. David's song of thanksgiving is recorded in 2 Samuel 22, 33-37. It says, God is my strength and power, and he maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like, like hind's feet and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken in mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of salvation, and thy gentleness has made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me so that my feet did not slip. A very quick look at the history of David is that he reigned for some 40 years and was approximately 30 years old when he commenced his reign. It has been estimated 
that he was anointed king by the prophet Samuel somewhere between the ages of 10 to 15 years old. At approximately 47 years old, he committed sin with Bathsheba. I point this out because David was a great man, a great king, a great soldier, but he could still fail. In his life, there was still evidence of that sin that doth so easily beset us. David is an example. He's a cloud of wit- he's in that cloud of witnesses, and and it's a horrible thing to look at the life that he suffered. But we can grow courage in our own weaknesses to see that in that cloud of witness, people that have gone before us have also failed. They've also come short of the glory of God. But it doesn't end there. We know that David repented and we know he was forgiven and we know he continued. But I'm pointing it out to show that such a man as David had weaknesses too. I would say with respect that David still needed some shaping in his life. I don't want to thrash out David's sin, but I must emphasize that this race we run, which is set by God, is not over in a flash or is a quick, short race. It is a lifetime marathon, and we need and we must commit ourselves to run to the very end, regardless. And when we may think we have overcome every hurdle or obstacle that there is to overcome, guess what? There's still some more. There is still some more. God never stops working with us and working in us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before hath ordained that we should walk in them. Amen. Ephesians 2 and 10. We have recently had very clear messages preached that we are vessels for the Holy Ghost, And to continue a little in this theme, the word of God came to the prophet Jeremiah saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then Jeremiah went down to the potter's house, and the potter was shaping a vessel on the potter's wheel. The vessel the potter made was marred, so he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. At that time, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. God was shaping and trying to shape the house of Israel. And here, although God is is referring to Israel, the truth of these verses can be applied to you and me as individuals as well. God is shaping us. Amen. An extract of something I read says, God receives us in all our carnal ways, and then he begins to reshape us and mold us into vessels that he can use. Our old man or our old nature is still with us, even after we have been born again. But slowly yet surely, God starts to work in each of us for his glory and for him to use us. He is the great potter, and we are the clay. God knows how to shape us. And we need to yield to that shaping. Amen. He's always going to shape us. We cry out to the Lord. We ask for his help. Am I right in saying that? My my daily prayer is, God, please help me to please you. Please help me to live right before you. Please help me to be right. Amen. I want God to shape me. Amen. So I I mustn't complain when he does shape me. Now I'm going to move to another kind of a race. Not a running race but a motor car race. Once again, the length of the track, the number of laps, and the course with its straights and bends 
maybe some climbs are all predetermined. When the section of the course is straight, the racer can accelerate and move at a fast pace. He may even be able to overtake others on the track. However, there are bends which have very sharp turns, left and right, and which require controlled speed, negotiation, decision-making, and skill, knowing when to accelerate and when to put on brakes to slow down. These bends are very trying, and that same racer who overtook early on may now be behind and will have to pick up again when he has come out of the bends. I don't know how many bends there are on a racetrack, but each bend will test each driver to successfully and patiently negotiate. I think that these bends are designed to bend the motorist's abilities out of shape and to drive him around the bend. Phew! I'm so glad and grateful that for us, Solomon said, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, which is before our scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, is headed examples of faith. And I would say that our race too is a race of faith. There is no need for fast record-breaking speeds. There's no competition at all. The way is set and pre-designed by God himself. And all the people who enter into this race of faith are equal. There are no handicaps. There are no early starters. Each person runs at their own individual race and begins at their own starting point and ends at God's finishing line. For everybody, this race starts here on earth and is designed to take us all the way to heaven. This, as I said before, is a lifelong marathon. Speed is not important, but endurance is. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. But there will be some bends along the way, which will bend us out of shape. <coughs> bends that will try us, <coughs> our tenacity and determination. Bends we will need to negotiate and overcome, not give up or turn around. The object is to continue moving forward and finish the race. We are never, never alone, but always Jesus working with us, and we always need to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. I'm looking for something. Where is it? This is a hairpin. Amen. Keeps your hair in place, ladies' hair, not men's. This is a hairpin. And on a motor racing circuit, there is such a thing as a hairpin bend. But spiritually speaking, this hairpin bend will bend us out of shape. To me, this hairpin speaks of repentance. You see, we can be traveling along the one way. Can I do it like this? We'll be traveling along the one way, and then we realize that we have erred along the way, and we do not like what we have done, or what we have said, or what we have thought. So we come into the bend, and we repent, and then we go back the other way. We do not go back the same way that we were before. We change direction completely. Don't forget we've repented. We've asked for forgiveness. We're moving on from that, and we move the other way. 
So you go coming this way and you get into the bend, you realize your mistakes, you ask God to forgive you, and you go back out the other way. This is a hairpin bend. Once we've repented and moved away and moved forward, leaving the old way behind, we have successfully negotiated the hairpin bend. The next bend is an S bend. Just like the letter S depicts, there are curves, turns, screeching of tires, and careful attention needed. I don't know how many S bends there are on a motor racing track, but in our faith race, and as I have put this message together, there are three. I find it difficult to prioritize these three S bends, but I start with surrender. A perfect picture of surrender is like this. Sorry, I'm not using the microphone. Hands raised is a perfect picture of surrender. Hands raised like this and walking away from and leaving behind the battle or the struggle. There's no more resistance. There's no more fight. No more struggle. Yielding up perceived rights. No more arguments. No more reasons to continue that same way. Simply and completely, I give up. I give up. I surrender to God and I want God's way for my life. I think a perfect example of surrender in the Bible is the journey of Apostle Paul. First, he was known as Saul. And we read about him in Acts chapter 9. My, my, when we read this passage of Scripture, we might as well say in the modern vernacular, it's Saul's way or the highway. He may well have been obsessed with what he believed to be true and correct. And there was nothing calm or reasonable about him. He was breathing out threatening and slaughter against the disciples of Jesus. He was determined to stamp out these believers. And nothing was going to stop him. He was going to the highest authorities that he could get to get permission to search them out of Damascus. No exceptions. Whether they were men or women, they would be bound and taken by him to Jerusalem to meet their fate. In this way, Paul was unstoppable. But then God. We all know the account of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. He fell to the earth when he heard the voice of the Lord. And now it really was hard for Paul to kick up against the pricks. He was trembling and astonished. He said to the Lord, what wilt thou have me do? This is complete surrender. Lord, what wilt thou have me do? I surrender, Lord. The next S bend would be submission. And when we submit, this too is, a, is hard, and adherence will also bend us out of shape. What does submission mean? Google's dictionary defines submission as the action of, or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will of authority of another person. Submitting means putting others before yourself. It means not always doing what you want to do. It means putting God's desires above your own desires. 
All humans have problem, a problem with submission. A writer named Philip Melacathon wrote, We neither obey the law nor can obey it before we have been reconciled to God, justified and reborn. It's a strong statement, but there's a lot of truth in that. And the following statement, which clearly defines lack of submission, left to his own devices, sinful man will always be lawless. This disregard for God's law explains the need for a savior. Only the savior can transform disobedient, lawless creatures into obedient, submitted citizens of heaven and of earth. A sinner desires to satisfy the corrupt nature by indulging in lawlessness. He rebels against God and the commandments of God. However, through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds and we have the desire to obey. The struggle continues because, as I said before, we are still in the flesh, which is at enmity with the Spirit. Surrender goes with submission. These S-bends join up, and although they are three different words, their meaning is much the same. I give up, I surrender, I submit. It is not only to God that we submit, but we, we have responsibility to submit to civil authorities, to our employers, to our marriages, one to another, and the very important submission to our spiritual leader, our pastor. We are not ruled or subjugated by our pastor. We have willingly given ourselves to, Lord, to the Lord, and he has given us spiritual leadership to do exactly that, to lead us. Our destination in the end is heaven, and we will not get, get there ever without submission. God gives us pastors, as Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12 says. We do ourselves well as we submit to our pastor, and we are exhorted to live a spirit-filled life, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submission means putting ourselves under subjection. It doesn't mean oppression. It doesn't mean inferiority of of status or position. It does not mean bondage or slavery. It does not necessarily mean that you are in agreement with the one whom you are submitted to. For the Bible example, I've chosen Joseph in Egypt. There are so many lessons and far too many to mention here. But he never, never, never relinquished his submission to God and the call of God on his life, or to his father, or to the one who bought him as a slave, to the jailers when he was imprisoned, to Pharaoh. And at the end of it all, he finished up second in command to Pharaoh in Egypt. It was because of this submission to God throughout that the nation of Israel was brought into Egypt where God miraculously delivered them from bondage in his time. The last and final S-bend I bring tonight is sacrifice. The Webster's Dictionary definition is giving something up for the sake of something else. A thing so given up, making an offering to God. From the biblical description of sacrifice in the Old Testament, we see death, we see spilling of blood, we see pain, we probably hear some cries, and the best animals are given up for sacrifice. In other words, sacrifice is not easy. Sacrifice for us is self-denial, complete surrender, and submission. 
The word sacrifice comes from the same root as sacred, sacred. And sacrifice has to do with making something holy. Sacrifice is essential in Christian living and in giving ourselves entirely to God in the desire that we have to please Him and allow Him to take over our lives for our benefits. Actually, as we live for God, God requires sacrifice from us. For Jesus said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself <coughs> and take up his cross and follow me. In fact, sacrifice is so important that Apostle Paul said, I beseech you, brethren. Beseech is not a word of exhortation, is a word of exhortation, not a command, not an order. It is an appeal, perhaps even an a plea and an urging that by the mercies of God, we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We're not dying in our bodies when we present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. We're dying to things that are in us that are not pleasing unto the Lord. We deny, we're die, die, dying to things that we don't want to live with, that are uncomfortable and they're awkward. And the only way we can get rid of them Sorry, is by giving them to the Lord. That's where the dying comes in. It's not in our physical bodies. But where, where are all these objects? Where are all these uh, attitudes? Where are all these sinful things going on? They're in here. And if, if we can't leave this behind and bring the rest of ourselves to the altar, all of us needs to come, all of us, our whole body needs to come and be presented to the Lord and ask Him to undertake and to change us. Ask Him to turn our lives around. This is a life, lifetime uh, marathon. It's not over in a day. No matter how long you live for God, no matter how long you serve Him, there's an obstacle. There's an S-bend. Submission is required. Surrender is required. All the time it has to take place. Amen. Paul speaks of the mercies of God in chapters 1 to 11 which include justification, sanctification, and so much of what God has done for us by his mercy, which is beyond our human comprehension. And now, as we present our bodies a living sacrifice, it is in submission and surrender of what we may do for God. We want to turn our lives around, and we want to please God. We are born into his kingdom to serve, and this requires sacrifice continually. Most probably... We would like to be served, and it is lovely when we are served, but that is not our object in living for God, and therefore we must pick up our cross and deny ourselves. Could I have the piano, please, Sister Zinka? We cannot have sacrifice without surrender and submission. Our perfect example is Jesus. He went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and prayer is submission, it is surrender, and it is sacrifice. He asked that if it be possible, the cup be removed from him. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This is a total picture of submission, surrender, and sacrifice from Jesus, who is perfect in every way. His prayer was so deep and earnest that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That is a graphic description of how hard surrender Submission and sacrifice can get. And then finally, the greatest sacrifice was his crucifixion. And for some of the words that he spoke on the cross, Jesus said, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. He was perfect. He had no sin. Makes you wonder what it was that he had to surrender. But he surrendered that this plan of salvation could take place for you and for me. Surrender, submission, sacrifice. By the mercies of God, we present our bodies a living sacrifice. As we run this race, let us always look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is not over with us. Amen. And sometimes we feel alone, and sometimes we feel isolated, and sometimes we feel nobody cares about us, and we're not loved and all those kind of things. But God sees us every day, every minute of the day, everywhere that we are, and he loves us. The Bible says that he loves us so much. He gave his only begotten son. I mean, how great is that kind of a love? We need to understand that and we need to grasp it. God is with us. God cares about us. God loves us. He is our heavenly father. How much more can a father do for his children than God does for us? Amen. We live for God and we need to give ourselves to him. In this race, we may encounter spiritual warfare. So be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Strap up and make sure that your lawns are girt about with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Shod your feet with the gospel of peace and the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We have got this armor that God gives to us. These S-bends are never going to go away, and we will always have to come. Overcome, I mean, no matter how long we've lived for God, no matter how well we've traveled, no matter how many messages we've preached, no matter how many songs that we've sung, no matter how many prayers that we've prayed, no matter how many times we've prayed to other people, no matter how many times we may have prophesied or spoken other tongues or given tongues and interpretation or or been used in the gifts of healing, no matter what, these obstacles, these S-bends are not going to go away until one day when we are called home and we meet the Lord. Praise the Lord.